Smart Council is a joint production of Multnomah University, Alternative Behavioral Therapy, and New Pattern Counseling. Joshua Moore is a counselor at Alternative Behavioral Therapy in Vancouver, Washington, who specializes in neurofeedback and trauma. Reese Basimio is a counselor at New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon, who specializes in addictions, sexuality, gender, and spirituality. Thanks for listening and for joining the conversation. Welcome to Smart Council Recovering Masculinity. Smart Council provides perspectives and resources to providers and students on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I'm Reese Basimio. I'm Joshua Moore. Reese and Josh are pleased to welcome our special guest, Josh Sarzana, into the studio with us. Josh, how are you doing? I'm I'm good. Welcome. I'm really happy to be here. Good. I'm glad you're here too. We've been talking about this a while. We have. We have, and we need to talk about it for a while. It's not easy to recover masculinity. It's not easy indeed, and we're de- definitely going to get into that and lots of other things. First, just to establish that we are indeed humans and not phantom cyber automatons in podcast sphere. What has everybody been reading lately within the last interval between this and last episode? Yeah, I'll start. Okay. Just this morning, my boys and I, we were able to sit together and we're going through the book of Proverbs. Okay. Just started it and in the first four chapters and talking about the value of wisdom. And it's been really cool because get to see the light bulb moments of things flickering in their minds. Alex is nine years old now. Christian is 10. Mm -hmm. And the book of Proverbs, there's riddles in there and things of which I don't get. It's kind of like Batman and the Riddler (laughs) gives him a riddle. It's like, what did, what was being written here? What was this? What did this mean? Mm -hmm. But so we're talking about some of those things and the great riddles within the Proverbs that there's some great stuff to learn in there. Some context here, you are a chaplain's assistant through the Air Force, is that right? I am an assistant to the chaplain, much like like Dwight Schrute is an assistant (laughs) to the regional manager. Yes, yes. Not assistant chaplain. (laughs) Yeah, no, chaplain assistant, been that for 11 years, four years active duty, seven years in the reserves. Uh, That's always been in the Air Force, and it's been a great job. I've loved it, and pursuing the chaplaincy as well. Excellent. And you've given me stuff to think about. I would have never compared King Solomon to the Riddler, but now I will <laughs> take that to the book of Proverbs as well. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So, he, he may have worn a mask like the Riddler. Yeah, no, who knows? Know. Maybe he liked green. Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, Question marks all over him. Anyway, <laughs> but thanks, Josh. Joshua Moore, um, I'm going to have to figure out how to call you too today. Yeah, anyway. you can call me, I don't know, more. Okay. <laughs> Something. Um, so, I have actually been finishing up, and I actually did finish and test and pass my uh, brain health certification coaching program. Congratulations. I got this fun new emblem I can put on my website, which I'm really excited about. Lots of new things about amino acids and vitamins and exercise and all that stuff. Uh, That was done a few days ago, and now I've been reading about the neurological changes that occur with pornography use, uh, which there's a new study out that was just like, whoa, you know what it does to the the brain, you know, specifically the left frontal cortex. It's like, oh... That's brutal. Was that the link yeah. that you just sent me? Yeah, I sent it to you. Yeah, well, like you're gonna love this research, or I'm not love this research. Depressed by it, but <laughs> but fascinating. It starts to make a little bit of sense, you know, uh, when you look at some of the more severe categories and what's going on in the brain, you know. Uh, so interesting. I still need to read it a little bit more carefully. It's big, big study. But I remember the high points you were telling me just from what you summarized were uh, one of the effects of like really heavy 
porn use is measurable holes in the head. On an MRI, like, like they're measuring vis- it on visible, MRI. Visible holes <laughs> yeah. in the head. Well, not holes, just a visual reduction of gray matter that mm. is evident on an MRI, which that's a big deal. We, we, shouldn't, be being, we shouldn't be able to measure this on an MRI. <laughs> <So> right. <laughs> that's, mm. that's, not, that's not safe. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable with things that are measurable on an MRI in no. the brain. Because <laughs> <No. laughs> you know? smaller changes that aren't measurable on an MRI, without, that aren't measurable you know, with an MRI are still huge changes. Um, so it's kind of disappointing and like, whoa, to find that it's measurable on an MRI. <laughs> that is pretty dreadful and yeah. alarming. Specifically reduction of gray matter at different parts of the brain. Yeah. So okay. usually the left frontal cortex and left temporal lobe, yeah, which we need those. We do so. need those. Yes. Okay. Well, beating the brain is not good. No. 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 Okay. That is interesting reading. Thank you for sharing. I just finished a short little novel that took me way too long to finish called... Uh, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. It's by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It's my very first Solzhenitsyn novel, and I was completely delighted. I believe reflecting on Solzhenitsyn's experience in the death camps in Nazi Germany mm-hmm. that or that that era. And Ivan Denisovich it was a prisoner in one of the camps, and it just chronicles waking to sleeping one typical day in prison life, and oh. it's fascinating and he's a brilliant writer and it was just really enjoyable for being about such a dismal subject so yes. um i am pretty proud of myself that i finished yet another book so <laughs> congratulations all right so talking about masculinity today but first again a little bit more about you uh, joshua z so like we said you are an assistant chaplain Mm-hmm. In the Air Force, chaplain assistant, chaplain assistant, or assistant to the chaplain. <laughs> <It's>, okay, <laughs> it's all a way of how you put the words in organized manner, for sure. And <laughs> for what is your what is your connection then to all things counseling and social work and mental health addiction and stuff like that? I think that's a great question. One of which I have not pondered myself much. I would say that I am the first counseling case I know. (laughs) I need counseling. It's funny, actually, we joked about it a little bit when I came in that we're actually in a place called the counseling house. We are in the counseling house. And I I wonder why I have not been in here more. Yes. Well, you are setting a good tone because all counselors should be in counseling or should have had counseling at some point. So well done. Agree. Agree. We should do a podcast on that. We should. Yes. Yeah. In the military there are all kinds of situations of which you step into where there are counseling opportunities, ones that are very unexpected, uh, ones that come at you that you just are not ready for. And as chaplain assistants, it's actually interesting even for the evolution for chaplains and chaplain assistants in the military. When I first joined the Air Force, chaplain assistants were basically asked to not counsel that that was a realm that was supposed to be covered by chaplains only because they had the certifications, education needed in order to counsel. But the Air Force, I think one of the reasons they made the major change that they did is they saw that as a chaplain assistant, you're an enlisted member. And as an enlisted member, you can be a more (laughs) trusted or or relatable individual where an enlisted person says, you know, I don't think an officer may be able to get some of my problems and the things that I want to talk about in the military. And they would seek to have counsel from somebody that's more on their plateau. And chaplain assistants can also come at more of a counseling level that is non-religious. And chaplains can too, 
but chaplain assistants, there's no religious requirement necessarily. Okay. I mean, for, for me personally, I'm a Christian as a chaplain assistant. And when I talk to people, I'm just relational with them. If I get an opportunity to share the hope that I have, which is a, a huge piece of me being able to give them a better counsel, mm-hmm. <laughs> then I, I seek to do that. I, at least in regards to my experience as a counselor, that's been a, a majority of my work where I've been in for 11 years and have just had a number of opportunities where people just stepping in suddenly and saying, I got this going on in my life and I need, I just, I need help. And speaking that in the wisdom of just what I know personally from my own life. And it's, it's a benefit as well that I'm, I'm you know, in the MDiv program at Multnomah. Currently, I'm in a crisis counseling class and have taken, you know, past classes as well that has you know, help me to, you know, become educated in the area of how to counsel, what to say, perhaps far more importantly, what not to say. Right. And that's important. Yes. Yeah. So I would say I'm very limited in the scope of how much counseling I have done. I definitely haven't stepped into the more extreme areas of counseling. I, I don't know about that because when, so depending on what you're meaning when you say extreme area of counseling, now I know for me, like extreme might mean a particular diagnosis or a particular level of symptomology in, you know, the state hospital perhaps, um, which I've never yet worked at the state hospital. Maybe I will someday. But I'm envisioning you physically, bodily going into extreme situations. Um, do, do you get deployed as a chaplain's assistant? Or yes. Would you, okay, yeah. So, so you may potentially be walking with people, you know, next to in the vicinity of active combat or places like that. And, you know, for for me, for my sensibilities, that does seem very much like extreme counseling because you're going into realms where licensed people like me would never go or never have opportunity to go. (laughs) I might if I could, but (laughs) the opportunities never come up. Well, I I appreciate that. You've made me feel more experienced (laughs) in the area of counseling. Yeah, well, part of it's in the reframe, but I think part of it's a legitimate thing too. You know, um, when you you boil down the essence of what counseling is, it's supportive, directive, Mm -hmm. uh, nurturing relationship with another person in a designated setting. In the professional counseling world in America, certainly there's a lot of, you know, standardized credentials and training that goes with that. But when you think about just like being like a wise, helpful counselor, you get to be that and you get to be that presence with people and, you know, in a very specific kind of removed context. And so, yeah, you have done that work and now you're augmenting that with even more like technical professional counseling training. But yeah, I think perhaps it would even boil down to the word willingness. Let this individual in some way, you know, maybe not let this individual, but I'm, I want to come alongside this individual. It it should be. Yes. Yeah. Cause you can either guide them onto a good road or guide them onto a bad road. I mean, they're all in that to say I'm willing to, and in some way try to help them out of something that goes beyond their own ability to cope with or to deal with. And I'll, that's big. Yeah. Big, big and scary. When if they choose to open up with you, we don't always recognize the amount of energy it takes and the amount of time it took to get to that place. That if we don't respond in an empathic you know, way with lots of unconditional positive regard um, and acceptance mm-hmm. while also bringing truth to the table, you know, we can damage the potential for that to happen again in the, in the foreseeable future. So I hope I answered that okay. I'm definitely probably not the most skilled or experienced counselor. It's I'm 34 years old 
and it's just going to be an area I'll continue to develop for the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, well, I liked your answer. I mean, I'm not giving you a grade or anything, but yeah, in counseling definitely is something that develops through the lifespan, through the career. Yeah. It should well, be anyway. What program are you in in Multnomah? What program are you taking? Uh, the MDiv Chaplaincy okay. Program. Ah, and there yeah. is a focus track for counseling in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Really good stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit about you and your life and your career and education thus far. And I'm excited to see where that goes and and what you do with that. Thanks, Reese. In the meantime, what about this whole recovering masculinity deal? And when I think our thoughts and feelings about how we title something like this kind of speak to how we're thinking about what it is, what it is we're kind of trying to do in regards to men and masculinity and, and what we're doing anyway. So, so as I would love to hear more of your thoughts about like, you know, what were your thoughts even just behind what we were going to call this? And that, I think that'll lead into some of the other things we were going to talk about too. Sure. One of the places my mind first goes to, and even when you say recovering masculinity, mm-hmm. I look at myself and say, wow, this is something that I need to recover in my own life. To speak for a moment, about my history. I am a child of divorced parents, separated home. I did not have a strong father figure in my life much at all. At six years old, seven years old, we went camping. All of that vanished. I was never taught to fish. I was never taught how to treat a lady in the home, how to speak kindly and gently, how to resolve conflict in healthy ways. Very important characteristics for any man, for any masculine men, uh, masculine man. And I got married at 20 years old. With the history of what my life was before that, that's, to me, that's insanity. Yet also at the same time, I saw how much I needed to grow and develop and mature as a man in order to become a good husband for my wife. And if have children, which we did, be a good father for my kids, especially since there were so many areas that I was not trained in. And so this idea of recovering masculinity, it's a great challenge personally and something that I I pursue and I plan to pursue throughout my entire life because I know what was not there in my childhood. And so what I need to try so hard to grab a hold of as an adult because it's so easy to learn as children you have a whole lot of gray matter yes <laughs> that hasn't been abused <laughs> and things gone into your head perhaps it shouldn't have gone in yeah you know and the old saying of Fair it's enough. hard to teach an old dog new tricks mm-hmm. and that's me i learned a lot of tricks growing up as a kid that i never should have learned just watching <laughs> what should not have been right and so how do i get out of that and into a place of recovery of say, okay, I've seen what in many ways, what a man should not be. I have seen what a man should be too, but I've seen too much of what a man should not be. I need to step away from that into something new, into a new pattern. Mm-hmm. If I can play off of your business's terms. Yes, my counseling <laughs> practice is called New Pattern Counseling. <laughs> thanks. Good plug. Yes, thanks. But this is really exciting though. And heartbreaking in a way, but in kind of a beautiful way, like hearing some of your story. And I know a little bit of your story, too, where, yeah, you mean you, we could say maybe missed out on one pretty important facet of development, you know, being able to grow up with a father, with a stable father figure or, you know, framed in another way, grow up with a stable same gender parent, you know, not to say a kid can't grow up 
without their same gendered parent, but there's something that is present when that is there. And, and you, and you feel that lack and you feel, and you felt like some of the repercussions of that in some of the repercussions of that in your personal life, in your marriage, in your parenting. And, and now that's, that's driving a lot of how you invest in men today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think a whole lot more of it is, and I don't mean to sound selfish with it, but in some ways it is, is investing into myself and just trying to become a better man each day. So I would say my my pursuit of recovering masculinity, while I hope for it to be one that reaches out to other men, I see my own great, a deep need to have that for myself. Yeah, I don't know that that's terribly selfish. I mean, well, <laughs> I want my kids to have a better life than my spouse. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. so selfish. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I sometimes I've started recognizing that for me to be a counselor and going through like the counselor training. Uh, I mean, I, I think I'm a good counselor and I think it's good for my clients that I work with, but it's definitely good for me. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I myself have benefited. I, I, I can't go into specifics at all, obviously, but I had one client who made me decide to go back to counseling because it was like, oh, you know, I, I kind of want what they have, <laughs> you, know? Mm. <laughs> you know, sitting here like it's very convicting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we mm-hmm. should, that's a healthy level of envy. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a the verse coming to mind, if I can just say it real quick, that okay. might be helpful. That uh, The Apostle Paul, when he's talking about teaching and teaching the church, there's one portion, and I'm not going to be able to quote it. I'm not even going to try. You can Google it or something if you want. But Paul basically says, he says, are not we who teach, you know, do we not also learn? You know, that, it, that he recognizes this idea that even though he's investing something deep into others, by focusing on teaching, he himself is the benefactor of that because of what he's gaining in right. his own studies, in his own discoveries. And so uh, really, I mean, we who are teachers and counselors are mm-hmm. among the most blessed because of that. Mm-hmm. Right. I would agree. Yeah. I've thought of that because there's uh, there's another group that I'm starting to work with a little bit who for now will name nameless and I'm sure I will get them on the podcast at some point. But, it, but it's a group that focuses on engaging with men and reclaiming masculinity, dismantling toxic masculinity. And, you know, some of our early discussions have been, how are we going to do that? What do we want to accomplish? And part of part of what I, I've thought is that, well, I mean, there's a lot of things we could try to accomplish, but I think minimally we change by being in the process. And right. that's, that's a really significant thing because it's difficult to change things at a systemic level which is frustrating because a lot of the problems we face are systemic problems, but kind of the paradox that I'm running into is that the systemic problems change slowly when individuals within the problems change. And right. by engaging in a group like like the one I'm starting to work with, by engaging in the work, Josh, that you're starting to do, you know, we change. And, and that might look small because it's just like us three people in, in, a, in a counseling house. But then, I mean, we have families, we have descendants, we have sort of our circles of influence. And, you know, as, as we change, we get to change the people around us or impact mm-hmm. the people around us. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. things like trauma can be really contagious. Traumatized people have a higher likelihood to traumatize other people. There's that too. But post-traumatic growth can be just as contagious. Yeah. Josh, see, maybe uh, talk a little bit about specifically what are some of the methods by which you are addressing men and masculinity and recovering masculinity? Sure. I'll speak to two of them. And actually it began with, I I had never planned to go on any form of men's ministry or work with men that it just wasn't 
a thought in my mind. It was like the title just dropped down into my head. And uh, the title of the book was The Son Who Chases the Father. And immediately when I when I heard that title, I immediately picked up even on the double entendre of it, that the son who chases the father, there is the sons who chase their earthly father. And even, even children who have been abandoned by their dads, who they ask the questions of, who was my dad? For them, that question may be nothing more than, well, I guess he was a man who abandoned. And that's all that they ever discover. And what does their life become out of that? They, they chase something, I think, intrinsically, mm-hmm. where they say, what's a man? What's he supposed to look like? And when there's that empty space, a son says, well, since my father abandoned, I guess that's really all I know how to chase after in my own life. And they become themselves children who grow into adults that abandon. And I realized this own truth for my own life, that my dad uh, and mom separated when I was six years old, that at, at a later time, and much of that was due to my dad's poor choices, but he came back to, uh, back, back to God to make his life right. And so I got to see for a time what a good man looked like. And so this was a very interesting topic for me because I got to see a man who was not interested in any form or fashion to live for his family, to live for God. He wanted to chase fame. He wanted to get money. He wanted the women he, you know, all those things, much of the same things that so many men desire today, you know, and those temptations that come in and out or we're living in them on a daily basis. And so I got to see for a moment my dad uh, as a good man when he made a turn in his life of living for the right things. And he instilled in me even for two or three years, I ended up living with him for a time, good counsel, sharing with me saying, Josh, these were the things that I lived for. And I was an idiot. This less, it led me into nothingness, into darkness, into depression. It led into destruction, not only for myself, but for everyone around me, for everyone that I supposedly cared about. People that he did, but he, he recognized at some point his decisions were tearing things apart. And so I got to see a man who did nothing right, but then I also got to see a man who did many things right. And I was so grateful to be able to see that in the moment and become as a son who chases the father. It's like, I have a choice here. I can chase after my dad who was a messed up, you know, selfish, jacked up, or I can pursue what he's pursuing now. And ultimately what that was is he was pursuing Christ and where he pointed me. And then with the double entendre of the title of, you know, hey, even if you don't have a good earthly father, Father, you don't have a story of redemption that I was ex- able to experience with my own dad. There is still a heavenly father that loves you even more than any earthly father could that can bring you into healing. And that can be messy and ugly, but I'll tell you what, it is worth going after because of the great rescue that is tied to it. And one that I experienced from my own life personally. But so that's the that's the book. That's the book, and yeah. it and it references your your story where there's the really spectacular and mysterious and kind of troublesome gift of being able to see it both ways, like see see a father who abandoned, who was not present, not a, not attuned, and then to see him change and see see what it could be like uh, for him to mm-hmm. be more present and really experientially impart to you kind of the choice in for your own life. Yeah, so. I really got to see him recover 
masculinity yeah. in his own life and how much of an impact that had on my own as his son. Yeah. And his other three sons on top of that, mm-hmm. my three brothers. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm excited to kind of unpack like what me what we mean by masculinity, this big word we've been throwing around so far. But <laughs> but first, what's what's your what's your second second thing? Yeah, thank you. Second thing is running a project called Man Wisdoms. And it's actually uh, has its own website, manwisdoms.com, which is absolutely true. <laughs> and I call it man wisdom. So people could look at the title and be like, I don't need man wisdom. I need God wisdom. <laughs> but the idea behind man wisdom is to grab pieces out of scripture that like gems that we need as men. The idea actually came out of the movie Courageous, uh, which was made by Alex Kendrick and the Kendrick brothers. With manwisdoms.com, one of the key principles of it is let's get into the Bible for a moment and figure out what it means to us as men. So in the movie Courageous, the main character says, man, there's so much in this that speaks to men on fatherhood and being a good husband that he's just never considered. And so the pursuit of man wisdom is to find those gems and to share them, get them out there to other men. And through like short two minute videos that just says, look, here's, here's what this says and here's what it can mean to your life. And here's the action, right? And every time it's that same pattern. Here's the verse. Here's what it means to us. Here's what the action should be that comes out of it. I'll give a real quick example here. Say Genesis 1.1. There was a beginning, but even before the beginning, God had a plan in mind. Okay, so what does that mean to us as men? Well, let's think about it for a moment. If God took the time in the beginning, right, and said, I want to create a paradise, something good for people to be able to dwell in and live a happy and joyous life. For us as men, we can take that and say, God had a plan. Why shouldn't I have a plan too? And that goes into so many different contexts as well, where it's like, okay, what do I want my family to look like? Where do I want my family to live? What do I want our, our passions and our pursuits to be discovering that as a man for yourself and establishing a plan in your mind and in your heart to say, I want to, I want to do as much as I can to make that a reality, to be able to create things that are good so that I can one day bring my wife and my family into those things that are good and enjoy them. God had a plan. And so the action is men, if you haven't gotten a family yet, start making a plan right now of what you want that to look like one day. And are you doing everything you can to make that a reality? <laughs> I, I, I guess, I, and I'll just add in a piece of that, that there's, there is always an action. There's something that a, a guy can grab a hold of tangibly, you know, where they hear in the video, like, okay, I'm being told here right now, I need to make a plan. Yeah. Are you going to do it or not? And right there, and it just leaves them. And so at this point, there's uh, 40 videos just out of the first 30 chapters in Genesis mm-hmm. on manwisdoms.com that has that same thread of thought. The Sabbath rest. Are we leading our families into that as men? And the, just those little pieces of recovering masculinity. I don't want to lead my family into chaos and turmoil. Mm-hmm. I want to lead them into peace and into a presence of reflection and, you know, just ease. I want to have a home where it's like there's peace resting on this place. And that's there not just for me, but for my wife and for my children. That's masculinity. Yeah, that's a lot something still to explore a lot. But yeah, I'm gonna have to check it out. You're extremely passionate about this topic. It seems kind of easy to remember, which I'm glad. Like, okay, well, manwisdoms.com, you know. Right, yeah, I mean, and Josh, I appreciate you sharing your passion and your excitement, and also for investing a lot of time into 
you know, speaking speaking to men, and you're coming distinctly from the you know the Christian biblical viewpoint, saying you know it's from this you know this ancient sacred text that there's wisdom that can be extrapolated and mm-hmm. integrated into into our concept of what it is to be a man, and yeah. which is again coming out of recognizing that the way that society is now, kind of the the way culture functionally understands manhood there there's problems with that and there needs to be changes made to that and mm-hmm. you know there's different ways that that gets approached yeah. but you know i had just some words to share along with that note that i was thinking just earlier this week was the one of the ideas of man wisdom is pursuing the definition of man today mm-hmm through the book of tomorrow. And because the Bible's been around for 2,000 years, and then the Torah... 8,000 years or something. Yeah. yeah. The Bible's been around for a long time, Mm -hmm. and it's remained on the bestseller list. Just it's... There's no competition against it. And and there is a reason for that. You know, and one of the things I'd want to encourage people who may be listening in and considering the audience, tell you, when it comes to learning how to do life, there is not a better book, and this is me speaking from my own personal side, but there just is not a better book to grab nuggets and truths out of than the Bible to live into and to try and bring good into your life. I think that our culture has gotten so far away from that. It's just become a, isn't it interesting that so much of the culture just says anything but the Bible? Please. And it's like, where does that come from? Why? Why? I understand that, yes, there's anger and there's things that Christians have done that have been terribly wrong and there's no excuse for it. And there's a lot of apology that needs to be made. What people have done with the book does not define the book. And just encouraging people that pick it up, read it, and not just, you know, to pick it up to disprove it and say, oh, well, there's a verse here that's just crazy because of the historical context. And now I can't believe in any of it. It's just take a moment with it. And really dive into it. Dive into the book of Proverbs. Even for counselors, I would say, if you wanted to challenge somebody to say, hey, if you want to ever try reading the Bible, one chapter out of Proverbs each day for a month, 30, you know, 30 Proverbs, and see what it does for your life, bringing wisdom into it. Filter, filter your trauma or whatever it is that's going on in your life through the scope of wisdom and see if it might benefit somehow what could come out of it but and i'm also like my 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 orthodox sensibilities are a little ruffled a little bit with the thought of like a whole bunch of people new to the bible like Mm -hmm. taking upon themselves to interpret it for themselves like apart from church tradition imagine the con comment section (laughs) which i mean we've had people interpreting the bible for themselves for the last 500 years and that's you know, gotten us, you know, what, 30,000 different denominations. That's mm-hmm. a different conversation. <laughs> that is, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but I'd be interested in talking more about, you know, men masculinity and what are the problems facing men today? Both of you, what do you see as significant risks facing, I guess I'll say, young boys growing up? And again, given... Well, we, we, we have, you know, of course, an army veteran here and an Air Force, you know, reservist right here. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about concepts like toxic masculinity, things that we can talk about right now, just with two people in the room that have experience in the armed services, toxic masculinity might have some funky definitions out there. But ultimately, it's about the modeling expectation around male culture that maligns other males who don't fit that definition, which is not a fair definition Mm -hmm. of masculinity and there are versions of you know people who are extremely masculine and that that's authentic and that's not toxic but it becomes toxic when it's maligning to individuals who don't really fit in i wasn't a particularly gung-ho medic i didn't like it when the drill sergeants would force you to swear 
and engage in, you know, brutal rituals, you know, which were all imaginary, of course, for the sake of desensitization. So I engaged in those only as I had to. But I was a loving, kind, understanding medic that cared deeply for the people who worked underneath me and for the people that I was treating. And I was eager to treat anybody on any sides, anybody that I could treat, just as we should via the Geneva Convention. And so being a confident alternative is still masculine. And no one who saw that would disagree. But yet, there are groups and subgroups who would wish to emasculate versions of masculinity and limit it and, and create it, make it more shallow, basically. Yeah. What do you think? I, I am r deeply resonating with that. Mm -hmm. And and I'm liking how you frame that as there's groups of men, particular presentations who consciously or unconsciously like seek to malign other men who don't meet a particular conventional standard. I did not fit in in the army. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know that knowing you. I enjoy need it. more <laughs> men like you in yes. the army. Yeah. Probably, yes. And, and I think there I think there's the additional layer of not just those men or groups of men who might seek to malign men who are not quite like them, but there's the general cultural dynamic, especially in, in media, pop culture, there's a particular breed of man that gets celebrated and hyper exalted. Right. Often to the point that the the counterpart or the the, the other then is it's like a larger system layer. Yes, is, yeah. is villainized, made fun of, uh, diminished, you know, which then becomes its own narrative, which is... So if there's like somebody in the narrative, say in Hollywood, who's slightly feminine or they come across as having more feminine attributes, they might turn out to be the villain. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, so so kind of in the moment example uh, uh, going on in, in this room. So, <clears throat> so I'm finding myself sitting in the room with two veterans, two men who have served in the armed forces. Your hair is longer than ours. And my hair is really long and flowy and curly. And I have never We're served in the- judging you. Right. I, I know you're not judging me and I love you both. But like, the, but the narrative in my head is, oh my gosh, like these two men, they've served in the army. They've gone through boot camp. They've gone through the gas chambers. My goodness. And I mean, to the listener, before we were- recording they were telling me about the rigors and horrors of like boot camp and no, it's all awesome. sorts of things <laughs> you both know how to fire a gun and like do fancy things with knives and like me and like i want to like i grew up like you know wanting to go read books and write stories and grow my hair out and paint yes. my nails there's a there's a narrative going on in my head that says you know reese you are other than and you are less than because of what these two heroes have done and what you haven't done which i know is not completely true and i know neither of you put that on me and nope. i don't accept that narrative for myself yeah. it's a significant feature in my psyche and i would venture to say it's a significant feature in the psyche of many other men too like there's mm -hmm. certain kinds of men who do certain kinds of things that get a certain kind of glory in society and not others i know would you agree oh yeah totally and one of the great ironies to that is these men who are living into this model of what culture deems manly they are feeling just as lost as most other men or if they're not I'll tell you something, there is an issue of pride there that tears away from masculinity. I'll tell you, if you want to get into masculinity, you got to get away from pride, right? You just got to say to yourself, I want to just be the best man that I can be. If I can go with an army, yeah. the best you can be. Be the best, yeah. <laughs> but the best man I can be. Who was I designed to be as a man right. for this time and this place right now? And you know, Risa, you talk about we were sergeants or airmen or whatever right. else we were. We learned to shoot a gun. Dude, when I learned to shoot a gun, I shot the other guy's target. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> I had like two out of 48 shots. And my T, I was like, what? 
what were you shooting at? And, you know, he cursed at me, of course. Okay. Uh, Some guy over here has a 40 <laughs> out of 40. Yeah. No, he had, like, he had 40. like 45 <laughs> out of 40. He went over and above. Speaking to this military piece, I want to point something out. Sergeant, before I say it, actually, let me first ask this question. When you hear the word sergeant, what do you think of? Sergeant Garcia from the old Zorro movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know who Sergeant Garcia is. I have is. too many thoughts to speak. Yeah. I mean, just a couple. What First thing that comes to mind drill sergeant deck sergeant okay shouter brutal okay yeah. angry josh uh, I, I don't want to incriminate myself <laughs> <laughs> no that's fair we'll just yeah. go with recent yeah, sorry yeah so, so he doesn't he doesn't have to worry about yeah. uh you know penalizations i, I, I was in grad school when everybody else was doing uh you know some of the sergeant warrior training courses so i never became a sergeant okay uh, but i did work under the navy when i was working at walter reed as a frontline receiver and so i did get treated as an nco and i did have soldiers under me mm-hmm. but i never actually got the title yeah so. okay <laughs> so here's why i'm mm-hmm. pointing this out sergeant is actually another word for servant yeah i didn't get that in the culture yeah that wasn't actually yeah. totally right <laughs> especially if you go through basic training and there's almost an ironic play on this i mean if sergeant means servant right okay what is a servant and as a sergeant living up to the model of a servant You know, yes, they have troops over them that they have to lead and they have to do well to guide them. I'll tell you, you're not going to do that very well unless you learn how to be a servant. And I think that this is very true also in terms of being a husband, in terms of being a good father, in terms of being a good man in general in society. That one of the ultimate definitions of what a good man is, in my book at least, is a good man is a servant. You know, and Christ put it this way that, you know, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Man, to me, that is masculinity. A man who says, it's not about me. It's about what I can do to invest and to pour into others with this life that I have been blessed to even be able to live at all. I don't want it to be all about getting what I want and what what I need. Man, live your life. Get popular. Get famous. Write the right music. So, you know, and and make it about all the right things, which is commonly sex. And so it sells. It's like, and then what does that do to our generations that are listening to all this and saying, oh, so that's what a man is. Mm -hmm. No, man. Servant. Yeah. I really love this from the Christian tradition. I really love what I think the Christian tradition has to offer the conversation about masculinity in who the model is. I mean, the, the, the pinnacle of the Christian tradition is is the Christ figure who achieves his greatest glory, his greatest victory through through death, through, through suffering, through humility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he makes himself the servant and he makes himself the nurturing servant. And... And he, and he very explicitly, you know, tells his followers, you will be great by being the least and you will achieve greatness through service, through humility. And he, he calls and empowers his, his people to, to love, to serve, to, to give up their arms. And it's not a very offensive model. It's very unoffensive. <laughs> and it's, and it's in very stark contrast to mm-hmm. what is often conceived, what's often termed hyper-masculinity or right. toxic masculinity. Yeah which is typically you are a proper man if you are, you know, violent, aggressive, have a lot of sex, make a lot of money, have a lot of power and dominion. Conquer and other men. Conquer other men. And in America, if you play football, drive a big truck, and eat a lot of bacon. Right. <laughs> and you have to be screaming with the right tone, yeah. right voice inflection, 
kind of like a Tarzan theme. Something kinda, like that. Yeah, and you got to be dressed right. Right. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and often with this sort of, you know, masculine approach, I mean, there's other nuances like, you know, boys wear blue and write in journals and they don't mm-hmm. wear pink and write in diaries, whatever. Yeah. There's consequences to that too, to where a man cannot be weak. A man cannot be vulnerable. A man cannot cry. A man cannot have any feelings except for happy and angry. And mm-hmm. and he gets in trouble for being angry and violent, but we kind of expect it of him because that's just what men do. And we say, well, boys will be boys. And, you know, we, we sort of slap them on the wrist if they, you know, act out sexually or, you know, rape women behind dumpsters. We sort of slap them on the wrist for that. But then we also kind of expected of them and that's the societal narrative that's presented to them and said yes this is what it means to be you now we're just going to ignore you and let you fall into that so yeah and you and that's a great way to put it fall into it is just figure it out and there's damage in that i mean really it takes effort not to fall into that if given the right environmental factors and under the right system it takes effort not to fall into that hence man wisdoms exactly right right <laughs> it does it really takes effort and that's you know why there's an action with everything it's like okay you heard something but now what are you going to do about it? this requires action we have a a world that's filtering ideas and thoughts about what a man is or is not every day and much of this times those things are absolutely and totally toxic right. and hence now the world that we live in should we really be so surprised that we have harvey weinstein's living in the world yeah. today based upon the messages that have been not just like you know put out there right. in media in hollywood but have been saturated with it so you've got like a spectrum here with you know people on the far end of the spectrum like the kevin spacey's and harvey weinstein's and you know everything that is you know horrific and then you have on the other end of the spectrum people who are deeply insecure and hurt because they find themselves unable to live up to a stereotypical model, which is unhelpful, damaging, and, and, and wouldn't be good for them to live up to that model half the time anyways. Right. <laughs> when we are faced with a person who doesn't meet the model, but has fully self-actualized and is confident, I don't think we see them as less masculine. I think you're right. Say, say more about that. Okay. I agree. Uh, <laughs> yes, but I'm not quite sure how much I agree. Go on. Uh, there are people who, who break the stereotype. They don't play by those rules. They aren't the violent type. They aren't womanizing. They aren't uh, over-sexualized. They aren't heavy drinkers, football players, pickup truck driving, etc. But they have a certain level of self-actualization, self-acceptance, self-awareness, and self-confidence. And I think that when you have those variables in a person, no matter the context, we find respect for them. I watched a TED talk this last week. Funny guy who always makes fun of millennials. He wears like pink shirts and has like a ponytail. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, JP Sears. So JP Sears does a TED talk. <laughs> He's on... got long hair. Yes, okay, he does. Cool. He's yeah. long hair. Okay, yeah. kindred spirit. He, he does a TED talk, which absolutely everybody should watch, on how your weird self is probably your most genuine self. Mm. Okay. Yeah, recently, like your eyes lit up. You're like, really? I know. You know like, I think... But this is legit. It's, it's worth watching because yeah. what if he's right? What if you could make a rational argument for the version of yourself that is more weird is in fact the more genuine self and also the version of yourself that will lead to the greatest sense of happiness which i do actually believe that I, i'll be a little bit transparent you know uh, my mother is a very talented speaker a very talented writer and she's been asked to go speak all over the world about various topics including you know uh, a book that she wrote uh, and i always really admired that and i didn't see myself as a very good speaker and i did try 
and I did classes at college and I did speech classes and I volunteered to speak at different things on different topics and I was never very talented. I do find that I do fairly well in speaking. I'm, I'm going to Alaska here in a few months to speak on human trafficking and uh, trauma, the Trauma and Dissociation uh, Ivory Gardens Conference. And so I, I get asked to speak all the time now. Uh, but it wasn't through pursuing a model that I had in my mind. It was through accepting myself the way that I am and letting my own internal strengths be present. I'm a very awkward speaker and I don't mind. <laughs> I tend to tell corny jokes, I get cheesy laughs, and I'm very casual and I like Q&A. And it's not anything like the model that I had in my mind as a kid when I was feeling bad about not being good at speaking. Not everybody who wants to be a good speaker is going to become a good speaker, but those who do don't do so by following the model in their head most of the time. And it's like that for any other area of life, including masculinity. Be the best man that you can be. The best version of yourself is masculine. Don't do that by following the model in your head. Do that by trying to figure out who you are and what's the best version of yourself. Build that self-actualization, that confidence. And when you see it, in another person, we identify J.P. Sears as being like a very desirable person. We want to spend time with him. We like him. Okay. Yeah. Dare I say, yeah. we can say masculine. He's got pink shirt and a uh, man bun. Yeah. He's got okay. good biceps. Yeah. He's too. got good biceps. Yeah, he's all right. So no one, no one says he's not masculine. <laughs> and you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he references like a wife and kid or something. I could be wrong about that, but you know, pink shirt, man bun, uh, very <laughs> awkward pauses throughout no at random points in his lectures. And yet we admire him. Okay. <laughs> you know my yeah. point? Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Because yeah. there's a, there is a boldness, mm -hmm. you know, to that where he's just saying, I have embraced who I am. He's extremely awkward. And that's just who <laughs> I'm going to be, yeah. whether he's, you like it or not. He's he, his, 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 his TED talk was intended to be wildly awkward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm also thinking that, um, you know, Josh, you were talking about self-confidence as a really important thing in self-actualization. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes it a really great counterpart to Josh, see what you were saying about how pride is a really big issue in men and you know right. self-confidence is not pride no pride is right. a mask for insecurity and a whole bunch of posturing your you know self-obsession ego a whole bunch of those things you know a true self-confidence is very akin to humility in which you are just just settled enough in yourself that you don't really need to think of yourself and that's a really great place to be and it's hard it's a hard place to get to and to stay but you know if you can get there that primes you to do a whole lot of other incredible growth too um but one thing i'm thinking too is how you know you were talking about how there's kind of a choice that's presented or you become who you need to be by not or i forget what you said but like you <laughs> you grow into a mold that's different than what's in your head yes which i think is really great and i think that maybe presents some potential for some solutions where we could say, well, yeah, if the toxic masculinity mold is what's in your head, what's in a boy's head, that's not what he should grow into. Thus, how do we go about presenting said boy with a different mold? And I suppose that's where our work, work as assistants to the chaplains and <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. clinicians fathers and fathers, yeah. fathers comes Man, in. talk about a missing piece yeah. in today's society. If you want to give a boy something to look at, put a good man near him. And who else could that be than his father? Really? Right. We haven't threaded this theme throughout. I mean, this is not at the exclusion of good women and no, 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 women. No, absolutely. No. However, this is... This if you is specialize it. in that, you know, put it in the comic section. We'll have you go and talk. Right. Um, <laughs> I, we should have specified this is a very focused episode on specifically men. But we do recognize that the impact of women is equally and sometimes even more so important and dynamic and essential, but we're focusing on men today. So, um, <laughs> and, and you're right, having, having a good, 
healthy man in one's proximity when developing there there are things you benefit from from that Um, well if you don't have context then i'm not sure that you actually have choices that's true not everybody has the same choices no and i I think that if you don't if you don't have an alternative version modeled i'm not sure that you have that choice in your head i i mean maybe you do but i'm not convinced you do yeah it's all a matter of what is present Mm -hmm. in a child's life and you had asked earlier Reese, I mean, what is what is the greatest risk even to children today? Mm-hmm. And I think that we're touching on it right here is the the risk that there is not enough good set in the molds for for children to look at to say, oh, this is good, <laughs> this is good. And I, I mean, I remember as a kid growing up, I knew the good ones when I saw them, but I'll tell you, it was like one out of a hundred. Right. Honestly and truly. And it, it's heartbreaking to say that and even more heartbreaking into the reality that it's more like these days, one out of a thousand. And it's what what do we need to do to start turning this around? Yeah. I mean, the numbers are clearly multiplying of, look, a bad man is naturally going to rear up a bad man. That's right. just that's the reality of things. And unless things can be turned around to, for a good man to come in and mm-hmm. flip the model and then more good men to come in and flip the model, we're, we're at a loss. Yeah. And it, again, that's what man wisdoms is for, that even if you didn't have a good man, hopefully there's some for sure. some pieces here you can grab a hold of. Well, I think like, you know, in a couple of variations of this, you know, because, yeah, I mean, a, a toxic man will tend to impart toxic masculinity onto, you know, both, you know, boys and girls. And so... You know, one one alternative would surely be, well, let's can we get a good man in that situation too? Um, but otherwise, um, you know, I, w- I would venture to say that the reality is is maybe more kids have access to their mothers than their fathers because of more fathers abandoning families than mothers. I mean, that's not an absolute trend, but a particularly devastating aspect of masculinity is one where it says, you know, boy, don't be nothing like a woman, and and that's. Part of part of the boycott, it's like, don't be a girl, don't be a girl, don't be a girl. Yeah, act like a man. Right, 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 right. But I think another good change could be somehow communicating to boys: it is okay to learn from women. Mm-hmm. It is okay to learn from your mom. <laughs> yeah. It is okay to be like a woman in all the things that makes a woman great. You know, to be strong and resilient and clever and resourceful and compassionate and nurturing. Yep. It's okay. It's even okay to like pink. Goodness. There's there's so many human qualities like you know, like emotional intelligence, like intelligence, like all sorts of skills that uh, are not gender specific that a boy or girl could learn from anyone. But there's this prohibition and it's kind of an implicit one that boys should learn from men and women and girls should learn from women. And I think that if that were, if that were more flexible, I mean, it's not the only solution, but it, you know, if there are, if there is situationally just an absence of healthy men, it would be great if boys were allowed to learn from their moms and if they knew that they were allowed to learn from their moms and really absorb that. Example today, when I was talking with uh, my boys about wisdom and Joanne was a part of that, we did uh, Bible devotions where we just sit down at the table together and let's really consider what we're what we're learning here and one of the topics that came up the boys were sitting there and one of the things that we had talked about that morning is how to value your spouse how to do relationships right and i made it a point to you know to point to joanne for the boys to learn something from her where it's like boys do you do you see how your mother serves me and how she serves us Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, there is great wisdom in your mother 
that she she fed me well as I got to know her and she has continued to feed me well and that's made me love her more and more and you can learn from this too whoever you marry right I mean you can serve her by making her a good meal and she will fall more in love with you by being a, a servant right and so that I mean that's a trait that I would say much more of the time associates with women rather than men is is servanthood and uh, so that's just that's one piece to grab a hold of and you can look at the ladies in your life and say what what are the pieces Mm -hmm. that can be gravitated to as a man you know a woman brings incredible comfort why would you not want to have that as a characteristic in your own life as a man good point yep yeah and so many others that frankly women do better than men if i could say and just one more piece here that's been on my mind as we've been talking you know the night before christ gave his life as a sacrifice to the world one of the actions that he did was he took off his robe and he wrapped himself around with a cloth and this was actually symbolic of him saying i am a servant it's like christ was basically putting on an apron you know and going into the kitchens you know in a way i'm gonna serve you and all the, remember the reaction of the disciples was like, whoa, what are you doing? Yeah, this is crazy. Right. It, there was a little bit of resistance there, wasn't there? Totally. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it, it was so unexpected. And But there is an image there that we should grab a hold of as men in the example of Christ that, man, he, he was willing to humble himself where he could have been the master, he could have been the ruler, he could have been all these things. And he said, I'm going to put myself into the position of a servant for the sake of being able to love better. And that made him more of a man, not less of one. Right. I'd agree. I would agree too. And that might be a great point to, to, to wrap up on as we've gotten to talk a lot about men and masculinity and some of the risks facing young boys in particular, but young boys and girls as we have to figure out how to be people and we learn from our parents, both our parents, and there's there's a lot of power that men have in in society. And you know, we didn't even get to talk about privilege, but there's mm. there's a lot there. So yep. continuing this conversation about what makes what make what makes a healthy man and how do we get there, we should definitely continue that conversation. Any last quick thoughts from anyone about what we've been talking about? I think the theme of the word serve has been one of the resounding and you know circulating words throughout discussion rather than being a man who serves himself becoming a man who seeks to serve thanks josh c for being with us and thank you for all the work that you do and we look forward to hearing where you go with that Mm -hmm. yeah thanks Um, thank you listener for following us we will be back with more smart counsel please be sure to rate and review smart counsel on itunes and soundcloud we love your feedback, so let's keep the conversation going. Follow Smart Council on Facebook at, at Smart Council Podcast, on Twitter at, at Smart Council 601, and you can email your questions to smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. Josh can be found on the web by searching Neurofeedback Care. Reese can be found at newpatterncounseling.com. Our theme music is by Nate Botsford. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. This episode was mastered by Julie Patterson. Smart Council has been produced by Reese Pasimio and Joshua Moore.